Live from Your Mind Productions presents On the Threshold. Episode 1, Cost of Delivery. The year had been a year of terror, and of feelings more intense than terror for which there is no name upon the earth. For many prodigies and signs had taken place, and far and wide over seas and land, the black wings of the pestilence were spread abroad. The peculiar spirit of the skies, if I mistake not greatly, made itself manifest not only in the physical orb of the earth, but in the soul's imaginations and meditations of mankind. Black draperies likewise in the gloomy room shut out from our view the moon, the lurid stars, and the peopleless streets. But the boding and the memory of evil, they would not be so excluded. There are things around us and about of which I can render no distinct account. Things material and spiritual, heaviness in the atmosphere, a sense of suffocation, anxiety, and above all, that terrible state of existence which the nervous experience when the senses are keenly living and awake, and meanwhile the powers of thought lie dormant. A dead weight hung upon us. It hung upon our limbs, upon the household furniture, upon the goblets from which we drank, and all things were depressed and borne down thereby. Edgar Allan Poe wrote those words nearly two centuries ago, when epidemics were an omnipresent fear. For the most part, it was a fear we had forgotten until recently. Pandemics were the stuff of zombie fiction, preppers, and alarmist news pundits, whose warnings seemed more and more laughable as each new super-plague they warned us of was contained within weeks, or perhaps was comfortably distant. The suffering and death was confined to another continent. But now, we are the confined ones. Isolated in our homes as the reality of those old fears creeps back into our lives. It leads me to wonder what other forgotten fears lurk just beyond the delusions of safety and control to which we cling. My name is Philip Glazer. I'm something of a semi-professional investigator. Like most of you, my day job has been quite disrupted by the outbreak of COVID-19. However, if there can be said to be a silver lining for me, it would be that I now have more time to dive into some rather unsettling occurrences I've been meaning to research for a while. I should say up front that I'm not really a believer in conspiracy theories or the supernatural. Indeed, laughing at videos that promotes that sort of nonsense is actually one of my favorite pastimes. 
But, uh, well, perhaps it would be best explained through the experience of a friend of mine I'll call Matthew. Matthew is a food delivery driver with DoorDasher. Three months ago, he called me to ask if I would look into the background of a delivery that had gotten more than a little strange. At least that's what I eventually figured out he was asking about over the static. Admittedly, I may have been a little slow on the uptake given that it was 5am. I've always known Matthew to be quite level-headed, but his tone on the phone was manic, almost incoherent. I was able to calm him down somewhat, but I nodded along and asked him to write it all out in an email. Here's what he sent me. Phil, sorry about last night. I'm just a little shaky for reasons that I'll get to. Let me start from the top. For the past few weeks, I've been door dashing late nights, 8pm to 5am, that sort of thing. It's nice. There's basically no traffic, no other customers at the restaurants, I can get in and out quickly, and quite frankly, most of the people ordering at that hour are desperate, high, or drunk enough that they give good tips. And if they're being cheap and not tipping anything up front on the app, I can just keep turning down the order until they offer more. It's not like there are any other drivers that they could turn to instead at that time of night. The biggest issue is trying to see the address number on the mailboxes or buildings in the dark. And, yeah, I suppose it can be pretty lonely. I rarely see more than one human being at a time, and even then they barely register me as anything other than a holder for their food. At least I've been getting through some good audiobooks. Though, after this, I'll probably have to stop listening to Clive Barker and the like, if I ever door dash at night again. Anyway, three nights ago, things had been going really slowly. I was sitting in an empty parking lot outside of Chipotle when I received an order for a house that was way out in the sticks. I might not have taken it, but I realized that the money on offer ended at something like 34 cents. You see, DoorDash has this weird system where if a customer tips more than a certain amount, the app doesn't actually say how much you'll get in the final order. And on every order it says, final amount may be greater. I guess it's intended to prey on drivers with gambling issues, get them to think that every $3 order might actually be worth $20 or something. But if you pay attention, you can generally spot the orders that are really worth more because they end in random amounts instead of round dollars or 50 cents. As I said, I hadn't been getting many deliveries, so I decided to take the order for this Ann F customer. It was a little restaurant I'd never been to or even heard of called Tom's. Not Tom's Diner or Tom's Place or anything like that, just Tom's. And when I got there ten minutes later, the exterior looked just as bland as the name. A tiny little shop in a strip mall wedged between an insurance office and a dollar store. But the interior was lit only by the lights from the deserted parking lot out front. I don't know if they just leave the lights off when there aren't any dine-in customers, or if they're always like that. But I had to use my phone's flashlight so I wouldn't trip over as I ventured in. DoorDash for Anne F. I called into the darkness. 
I jumped when a growl from the back told me, Sit down, I'm getting it. I navigated with my phone's light to a hard plastic booth. I swiped on my app to tell it that I had arrived at the restaurant. That's when I noticed the item I was supposed to pick up wasn't labeled like hamburger or chicken masala, as the app normally lists. Instead, it was just a letter followed by some numbers, like H38. I don't remember the exact numbers and letters, but you get the idea. The sudden chopping, hacking sounds from the back made me almost jump out of the booth when I reminded myself that slicing through flesh is something that restaurants normally do. Still, my hair was on in. I tried to ignore it by focusing on the headlines on my phone. After maybe five minutes, he emerged from the kitchen with a large gray plastic bag. I couldn't really tell you what he looked like because I could barely make him out with what little parking lot lights the windows let through. I do know that he was big, at least six and a half feet and thick set. I thanked him and tried to make a half joke about getting an electrician to look at the lights, but he just grunted back. The sack he gave me didn't fit into my DoorDash bag, so I just set it down on my passenger seat. In hindsight, I think it may have shifted strangely as I did so, but I made nothing of it at the time. As I was setting Google Maps for Anne's address, I noticed the stench. For the most part, I enjoy the smell of what I'm delivering as a little perk of the job, but this was... foul. The closest I can compare it to is undercooked meat on the verge of rotting, but that's not quite it. I rolled down the passenger window and started driving. The city lights and distant sounds of other cars started fading behind us as we headed into the country. The night must have been overcast because it was so dark I couldn't even see the horizon. The earth and sky blended together seamlessly, with my headlights revealing the stretch of road in front of me like it was the only thing that existed in an endless black void. But I guess it did end. The address was a large ranch house, the sort of place that rich people build for themselves to retire to or commute from. It looked like it was built in the last few years, or at least the driveway and pavement did. I couldn't see the whole thing clearly. One thing I had learned quickly about delivering at night is to text the customer instead of ringing the doorbell. People might be working late and not appreciate having the whole house woken up, even less if you have the wrong address. So I waited for a reply text for at least five minutes before I called the number. You are the delivery driver? asked an older man's voice. Uh, yeah, I'm delivering an order for... Anne? Anne F? Yes, she is my wife. I will feed it to her. Please come to the front door. I remember thinking at the time that his wording was just an amusing slip of the tongue. That's the only reason I really remember it. I did as instructed, waiting at the front door like a good delivery man and I was nearly blinded when he opened the door to the foyer, 
As my eyes adjusted, I saw the customer. It's hard to say how old he was since his head was shaved. He could have been anywhere from his 40s to his 80s. Caucasian, I think, but I couldn't really tell you much more than that. You see, in addition to the bright light, I was distracted by another figure stumbling around a corner down the hall. It was entirely wrapped in a yellow rain jacket and gloves so that I couldn't see any skin. Why would anyone be wearing that inside? In case I haven't said, it absolutely was not raining, so it's not like they were preparing to go out. The next thing I knew, I was alone in darkness again as the door slammed. He must have taken the bag from me while I stood there transfixed, because it was gone. I don't know how long I stood stunned on the doorstep, but eventually my reflexes kicked in and I swiped delivery complete on my app. The tip turned out to be $60, so I just chalked it all up to some sort of weird, rich fetish roleplay thing, or something equally bizarre but ultimately benign. The rest of the evening went smoothly, and I had left the whole affair on my mental back burner. It wasn't until dawn that I noticed the pale green stain on my passenger seat where I had put the bag down. It had the same distinctive and unplaceable stench. I must have spent an hour trying to get it out with soap and water. But eventually a mix of detergent and vinegar worked. That damn spot was persistent. I thought I was done with the whole thing, and honestly, in the safety and confidence of the day's sunlight, I just counted myself lucky for what I'd considered a nice one-off payout, regardless of the strangeness surrounding it. But then... Three nights later, at around 11.30, I got another delivery job for Anne F. to pick up an order from Tom's. When you work the graveyard shift like I do, it's not unusual to get repeat customers. Some people just have weird schedules, and when you're the only driver, they're going to be getting food from you. Yes, I had been more than a little unsettled by the creepiness from the first time, but I'd be lying if I told you that I wasn't at least a little thrilled by the thought of this obscenely well-tipping guy becoming a regular. I mean, who was I to judge? But when I returned once again to that desolate parking lot, the chill of memory ran down my spine. That night wasn't as overcast as the first one, so I had some moonlight to add to the glare of the street lamps. But instead of better illuminating the unlit interior of the restaurant, it only seemed to render the darkness more sharply. As I stared into that blackness of the open restaurant door, I hesitated on the threshold, before just shouting, Delivery for Anne? I'll be outside. I'd never done that at a restaurant before, but then this wasn't exactly a typical restaurant. I took a deep breath and sat on the cold curb, swiping on the app that I had arrived. Once again, the food I was supposed to deliver was just listed as a letter and some numbers. I found myself just sort of staring at the empty parking lot. It was then that I realized that it really was an empty parking lot. My car was the only one in it. Where was the chef's car? The knock on the window cut my thoughts short. Just inside the door was a large, lumpy, gray plastic bag. 
It had a similar stench as the first one, but with an added metallic odor. I remembered the stain from last time, so I put my DoorDash bag and some spare napkins on the seat underneath it before I set it down. Looking back, I think that's the first time I might have seen the bag twitch. At the time, I didn't register it, and maybe it's just my memory or the limited light playing tricks on me, filling in gaps based on what I saw after that. Or maybe it had happened with the first delivery, but I just hadn't seen it as clearly because there had been even less light. Regardless, as I drove out of the city again, I swear I kept seeing movement close beside me in my peripheral vision. Something rising. But there was nothing beside me except that gray bag and the blackness outside. And still that rising continued. Even so, I might never have thought it was the bag if not for what happened afterwards. I pulled up to the ranch house to find light flooding out onto the porch from the open doorway. A silhouette stood on the threshold. As I parked, I realized that the figure was entirely enshrouded in that yellow raincoat. I got out of the car, asking, Anne, I take it? I tried to keep my tone light and upbeat to conceal my growing unease. I'm not sure how to describe what I heard in reply. It was like a strangled exhale or a suppressed growl that set all of my hairs on end, and it was drawing closer. What happened next almost makes it seem like I was two separate people. Customer service friendly DoorDash of me was controlling my actions on autopilot as I calmly walked over to the passenger side door to retrieve the bag for the customer. Meanwhile, the sane part of me was internally screaming obscenities as the DoorDasher turned my back on the figure behind me to pick it up. It was only when I saw the bag in the full light from the open foyer that I truly and undeniably watched it not just twitch, it pulsed a twisted, pained convulsion, faster and faster like a heart in mortal terror. At that sight, the door dasher short-circuited and my sanity regained the upper hand. My scream was cut short as I was thrown to the ground. I must have been tossed aside by the thing in the raincoat, because when I looked up I saw it hunched over the car seat, ripping into the sack and what was inside. I could hear it devouring the contents like a starving animal. Then I heard shouting from inside the house, and the thing froze and turned its head back around. Its hood fell as it stared at the doorway. I don't think I will ever forget that face, or at least what must have once been a human face. But now it was almost entirely covered in tumorous growths, distorting everything into unrecognizability. The eyes, the nose, everything human was drowned in those cancerous masses. 
everything but the mouth, a mouth now dripping with red. The next thing I recall is swerving wildly to avoid the headlights of the truck barreling down on me. I overcorrected and steered my car off the road, almost flipping the car before I slammed into a tree. When I recovered from the haze, I saw on my phone that it was 4am, almost five hours since I started the delivery. I eyed the encroaching forest shadows around me as I called the police. I guess I wasn't making a lot of sense, because they just told me to calm down and that a tow truck would be on its way. At some point in my explanation to them, I realized that my story sounded completely insane, and that there was no chance that they would believe me or look into any of this. So, for whatever reason, my next impulse was to call you. Sorry about that. But I still really need your help. You see the picture I attached? That's what I found in my car just before they towed it away. That's what proves I'm not just crazy or dreaming or making all of this up. I just need some sort of explanation. Please. Matthew has never been prone to pranks, but even so, I probably would have taken all of this as a joke if not for the photo of the twisted, fleshy mass gurgling out from under his car seat. Regardless, this hardly proves that all of his memories of events are accurate. Clearly, he experienced physical trauma in the crash, and Occam's razor would suggest that much of his horrifying recollections of that delivery were half-dreams conjured up on the wake of the car accident, his subconscious filling in the gaps with elements from horror audiobooks. I'm sure that I will be bombarded by emails from the flying saucer crowd if I don't mention that lost time and gaps in memory are frequently elements in alien abduction narratives. However, I would point out to them firstly that none of the other elements map onto your standard UFO abduction myths, and secondly, that it's far more easily explained as Matthew going into shock from the aforementioned car crash. Unfortunately for my follow-up investigation, Matthew didn't ever save the address of the client to whom he delivered the food, and he doesn't have a way to retrieve it, so it's not entirely possible to dig deeper from that direction. Thus, I decided to follow up on the restaurant, Tom's. I should note that Matthew and I live in different states well over a hundred miles apart, and I had a full work week at the time, so I wasn't able to just pop over and investigate in person. Nor am I really inclined to do so now, given that the plague is about, but I was able to do some digging online into their public records. It turns out that the registered owner of Tom's is a holding company with a rather bizarre name, Nine Hands. Nine Hands doesn't seem to have any online presence. No news stories, press releases, let alone a company website, and I can't seem to find where it's registered as a legal entity. 
the only other solid thing that I have been able to determine about them was that it owns at least one other company besides Tom's in the state. A medical waste disposal company called Waste Not. If any of our listeners happen to have solid information about Nine Hands, or perhaps have mundane investigations for which you would like to offer a commission, please feel free to email me at the address in the show notes. Stay safe out there. Hello, I'm Gregory Moss, creator and writer of On the Threshold. Thank you for listening. If you've been enjoying my little podcast, please share it with your friends, neighbors, enemies, really anyone who you think might enjoy it. This is a new podcast, so every new listener matters a lot. Our community may be small now, but with your help, together we shall grow and as one organism, our being expanding until the whole of humanity hears and speaks with one voice, thronging in an inseparable union of minds and souls that shall echo through eternity. And if any mind can still be called your own, you will know that you made all of this possible. So yeah, I'd really appreciate you passing it on if you can. Thanks, and stay safe out there. On the Threshold is produced and distributed by Live From Your Mind Productions under an attribution non-commercial share-alike 4.0 international license. This episode was written and performed by Gregory Moss. Thank you for listening. The Clawing, Part 1 The scratching sound coming from above stirred me from my stupor. It was like a mechanical clawing, tearing in a slow, persistent rhythm. How long had it been there? How long had it been muffled by the sound of the television? I turned down the TV and looked around the den. I thought it might be the ceiling fan, but no, the sound was coming from upstairs.